Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1 with All Care Pharmacy. Discover a healthcare team that's always here for you at All Care Pharmacy, Ireland's largest community pharmacy network. Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1. Well, you're certainly not happy with hotels um, after that discussion between Hazel and Linda. Uh, lots of text messages coming in. One says, in relation to hotel prices rising on busy weekends, I have three questions. One, do staff get paid three times the rate for rugby weekends or big concerts? Do drinks companies charge three times the price for their kegs? And do energy companies charge three times the rate for these weekends? Another says, the actions of hotels overcharging everyone requires action by the government to cap prices, the experience of tourists who are forced to pay outrageous prices seriously damages the future of tourism and our international reputation but for the sake of balance uh, one caller says if we need more hotel rooms why can I always block caps always book a room no matter the day or the event well from hotel controversy to controversy in Westminster um, as uh, the Partygate Pro Chief Sue Gray is offered a top labour job and there is fresh controversy in Westminster is there ever not a fresh <laughs> controversy in Westminster these days but it emerged yesterday that a senior civil servant Sue Gray who investigated lockdown gatherings in Downing Street has been offered a job as Keir Starmer's Chief of Staff a labour spokesman said that Sir Keir was delighted that she hopes to accept the role subject to the normal procedures but the appointment has caused alarm in the Tory party. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak said he's concerned that Sue Gray could use privileged information to benefit the Labour Party whilst allies of former PM Boris Johnson reacted with anger to the news. Well to take a closer look at this I'm joined on the line by Cindy Yu, Assistant Editor at The Spectator and Peter Foster, Public Policy Editor at The Financial Times. Good morning um, to you both. Cindy I'll start with you um, some serious upset in Westminster um, after the announcement about Sue Gray's job offer. Yeah, absolutely. And this upset probably split into several different schools. So there's one group of people who are uh, supporters of Boris Johnson, his allies, Boris Johnson himself, who suggest that Sue Gray was never uh, an, an impartial source to be looking at uh, the Partygate scandal. And so she was always somehow, I don't know, partisan when she looked at all of these things and therefore trumped up the investigation to be more than it is. I think there's not really enough evidence for that. I mean, possibly, but there's not really much in, by way to show well, that. We, we know she hasn't commented um, herself, but um, and I know that, you know, obviously you might say, well, uh, the Tories would say that, wouldn't they? But is there any suggestion uh, that she, you know, that, that, that she was any sort of a, a sleeper agent for Labour in that role? I don't think that uh, could be borne out of that. Certainly uh, not a fair accusation. No, no, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. But that is certainly the way that some people on the right have taken it today. And if you look at the front pages of papers like the Daily Mail, for example, um, the question, I think, is how long has she been in conversations with Keir Starmer for? Um, but the other more um, serious concern, I think, more more legitimate concern is just her role as the director of the Ethics and Propriety Office between 2012 and 2018 in the civil service meant that she really saw a lot of the um, uh, confidential things that uh, ministers had to uh, send in in order to become ministers, and all of those would have been conservative ministers. So once she takes on this party 
based role as chief of staff. Are we really seriously saying that she's not going to be using any of the stuff well, that she knows? On well, paper, she's not meant to. Yeah, but on paper, she's not meant to. Mm-hmm. But but when she is trying to get Labour elected for the next election, I mean, that is the concern. But, but look, you know, we look at this revolving door of people moving from say, state roles into other roles. And I mean, the power was within the Tories over the last couple of years, you know, under the, um, the advisory committee on business appointments. They could have written it into the contracts to make sure that, you know, if you move within two years, certain rules apply. They've been in power a long time and they didn't do that. So has that failure to do so sort of a blown up in their face? What can they do about Sue Gray if, a, if it can't be enforced? Well, the rules at the moment are quite vague, as you say. I mean, they, they could have tightened it up in the last few years and I bet they're kicking themselves for not doing that now. Although this is such an exceptional circumstance that I think even Simon Case, the Cabinet Secretary, other senior servants didn't see it coming. So I don't think anyone really knew about it until really yesterday. Um, at the same time, uh, it does seem like the Prime Minister has to sign off um, any ruling from ACOBA, which is this office that looks at whether or not someone's freshly leaving the civil service can take on these roles. And some people are saying that Rishi Sunak should perhaps just not allow her to take this role until after the next election. To intervene. Uh, as I say, the rules are quite vague. It's not clear to what extent he can really do that. Well, but let's bring in Peter there. Is the dismay, uh, Peter Foster, and the anger amongst Boris uh, Johnson's allies justified? Well, you know, you have to remember that Sue Gray was appointed after Simon Case, the cabinet secretary, recused himself from the Partygate mm-hmm. investigation. And she was appointed because she had this reputation of being this fiercely independent, fiercely ethical, you know, and she was lionised at the time. And indeed, Boris Johnson, you know, made a big deal of the fact that he'd been cleared by Sue Gray. Um, and so to now suggest that somehow she has, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, she's now untrustworthy and, and, uh, and damaging and, and potentially damaging to Tory party, I think a lot of people would think was a bit rich. There is, I think, a problem, though, which is that, you know, these, these have been very stormy years, as you said in your introduction for British politics. And one of the casualties has been the inevitable kind of clash between the civil service and the politicians and, and the politicisation of the civil service. You know, people like Jacob Rees-Mogg routinely trashing the civil service, the sacking of Tom Scholar, the, the Treasury Secretary by Liz Truss, pretty much, you know, as soon as she got in the door, has inevitably politicised the civil service, which is supposed to be impartial. Well, not supposed to be, it is generally impartial. And I think this move will kind of feed the feeding frenzy on the civil service, which is generally speaking a really bad thing for politics and for governance and for policy making in the UK. Yeah, and particularly at this point in time in UK politics, a very, very destructive uh, narrative. Let's move uh, to on to Boris Johnson, who was speaking publicly less yesterday at um, a, a big corporate shindig uh, run by a brand management firm. And uh, he was speaking publicly for the first time on the Windsor framework. Uh, let's hear some of what he had to say. There's no point in Brexit unless you do things differently. Uh, I'm going to find it very difficult to vote for something myself, because uh, something like this myself, because I believed that we should have done something different, uh, no matter how much plaster came off the ceiling in Brussels. And I hope that it will work. And I also hope that if it doesn't work, we will have the guts to deploy that bill again. In the meantime, I will continue to campaign for for what I thought of and what I think of as Brexit and the logic of Brexit. 
Um, Peter, his audience yesterday was, um, uh, uh, I think Quentin let said it was, uh, um, the audience comprised 30-something marketing types glad to escape the gerbil treadmill of office life for a few hours. Uh, the remarks were significant. They weren't delivered um, in Parliament, but um, they can hardly come as a surprise. No, and I think what's interesting, you know, is actually how little real traction or difference those remarks have made. I mean, he might have stirred a few uh, um, Eurosceptic backbenchers, but actually what's interesting is that, you know, the ship has already sailed on and he kind of admitted that. You know, he said, you know, I can get that everyone's fatigued, I can get that everybody wants to move on. And that's definitely the kind of feeling in Westminster. You know, the DUP, I think, are going to struggle to back this deal. It doesn't meet all of their seven tests, whatever Rishi Sunak says. Uh, but, you know, on the right of the Tory party, it'd be interesting to see what Cindy thinks about this, but you just get the feeling that enough of them, including Steve Baker and others, have decided that this well, is not a fight they're well, going to win. Uh, and, and, and in some ways, that's, I think, potentially a really quite important moment, because these this coterie of sovereignty above all else, sovereignty at any cost, you know, we'll eat grass if we can be sovereign. This little coterie of very hardline Brexiteers has driven the UK into a kind of Brexit cul-de-sac, of which Boris Johnson was completely responsible for. Yeah. And they seem to be, you know, I mean, the sand seems to be shifting underneath them. Cindy, um, what do you think? Is he a busted flush or is there a, a bigger problem for the ERG in general? Have they lost their grip, um, Trump-like grip on the uh, Conservatives? I think they've certainly been divided and temporarily conquered um, in the sense that, as, as Peter says, Steve Baker has come out really gushing about this deal, even though before then he was really annoyed that he wasn't involved in the negotiation process. Uh, David Davis, another uh, Brexit stalwart who was so anti-checkers with Theresa May, um, has also come out in support of it. And so the ERG is finding it hard to kind of gain momentum. Having said that, they are pouring over the text at the moment. You do hear uh, disgruntled grumblings over the course of this week, and they're meant to come back uh, in the next week or two, along with the DUP on their judgment. So if the DUP really were to say, look, this doesn't work for us, I think the government is not necessarily in a safe position. Uh, they'll be able to push it through with Labour's help anyway, but do they really want to do it that, at that stage? I think... You know, if you were in Downing Street right now, you would still be crossing your fingers that the DUP are not going to make your life difficult right now. Indeed. And um, will, I wonder, Peter, um, they also be uh, hoping that Boris Johnson doesn't uh, make the, their life difficult. It was interesting, um, Peter, yesterday, three times um, he mentioned the size of his majority that he won in 2019 as he encouraged all those young marketing types to dare to be different. The fact that his um, remarks were made at a private function, uh, I think it was the Global Soft Power Summit, um, rather than maybe in a parliamentary or more formal political setting. Should we read anything into this or is this just kind of part of um, what is now a big part of his um, life, uh, the the big post-political speaking circuit? Well, he's making, you know, 100, £100 £200,000 a pop. I mean, you know, look at the registered member interests and he's absolutely coining it in. I think, you know, uh, Boris Johnson clearly harbours real, real hurt from the way he was ousted. Uh, he really, you know, there's a lot of bitterness towards Rishi Sunak among Boris and Boris's supporters. And I don't think he's going to make life easy for Rishi Sunak. He's not going to go gracefully. He's going to mm. snipe at him from the back benches, a bit like Edward Heath did to, to, to Margaret Thatcher. And I don't think that's going to go away. On the other hand, um, you know, the way out from where I see, I, I do, do, do think that talk of a Boris Johnson return is, is wildly overstated. You know, 100 MPs, you know, if he did get to 100 MPs, in the, lead, in the leadership race, might back him. But he brings so much baggage with him. We're going into the COVID inquiry. 
you know, Sue Gray reminds us of the party gate, uh, a standards inquiry going on into Boris Johnson as well. You know, I, I, I think the media often give Boris Johnson a great deal more oxygen than he deserves relative to the actual prospect of him coming back. It's, it's, it's fascinating to watch. I wanted to ask both of you, uh, this obviously was the week of the Windsor framework. Where do you both see that heading next, Cindy? When it comes to the Windsor framework? Yes. Well, I think it ultimately just depends on uh, the DUP, really, because I think, uh, and it'll be interesting in what Peter thinks about this as well, I think regardless the government has the votes to get it through, the question is, does the government want to rely on Labour votes to get it through if a key constituent like the DUP were to oppose it? Um, and so, as I say, they want to cross their fingers that they don't oppose it and they can just kind of shuffle this one through. Um, but if not, I think it'll be quite difficult. Yeah, there's so much to ask. I just want to ask you, Peter, very quickly before we go. In the week that we're considering the, the shape of our own COVID inquiry, um, was it right uh, or the wrong week for The Telegraph to start leaking Matt Hancock's WhatsApp messages? We can't blame The Telegraph for publishing, you know, what is an, a terrific trove. Uh, you can probably question the the ethics of doing the dirty on Matt Hancock. But then I guess, you know, that was Matt Hancock's lookout for giving all his WhatsApp uh, um, messages to Isabel Oakeshott, you know, who, who you know, has ha, has form as a, as a, you know, as a scoop, scoop, scoop getter, as someone who makes waves. I don't think it's wildly helpful. Um, you know, a lot of people suffered a lot during the pandemic and it would be better done in a high-minded way through the, through the COVID inquiry done properly. But, you know, you can't blame and the Telegraph for, for, for publishing those yeah. those. Fascinating, fascinating to read in any event, but to Cindy you, Assistant Editor at The Spectator, Peter Foster, Public Policy Editor at The Financial Times. Thanks to you both. We'll take a quick break. Text 51551. Today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1.